Well, thank you so much, band, and thank you for being here this morning. It is a joy to welcome you here, as always. Um, I know just in the last couple of days, I've been in a few stores, and Christmas music is already playing. Isn't that great? I think we're all anxious to get there. Um, it's, been, it's been a rough year, and so I think the, the joy and the yuletide of the Christmas season will, will bring a pleasant uh, respite, I hope, from all that we've been through. So I want to um, address, and although, by the way, thank you for the Christmas shoe boxes, and that's a part of the ministry of our church and many churches. <clears throat> Those things will go around the world, and we thank you for participating and being a part of it. Um, so I want to just address a couple of things that's kind of happening um, currently, and so I'll just address that. Then I want to read um, a passage of Scripture out of the book of Philemon. In fact, it's the whole book. It's a one chapter, 25 verses, 335 words in Greek. So it's kind of interesting. It's small, and if the pages stick together, you'll never find it. Okay, just a little book tucked away in the New Testament. That's a, a second of four of Paul's prison epistles. So we'll, we'll deal with that as well. And, um, and probably we'll take a couple of weeks with this uh, passage. And so it's really rich. There's lots of good things in here. And we want to look at it and see what it has to offer to us. Um, and I will say also that I, didn't you enjoy 70 degrees yesterday? Wasn't that great too? Uh, man, I did. And... Um, we didn't actually put our Christmas stuff out, but we got it out of the attic because we have an attic in our garage, and so that's where we store Christmas, and we got it out of the attic. But I learned today that Jimmy McDonald also, he didn't just get Christmas out. He put it out, out, like in the yard out, and uh, he was really ready. And his wife, his wife said, okay, you can put it out, but you're not turning the lights on until Thanksgiving, until Thanksgiving. So uh, if anybody sees Jimmy McDonald's lights on before Thanksgiving, you know, just, just uh, tell his wife to address that because he's getting ahead of the game. But uh, no, we're, we're thankful, and I hope, I hope it goes well for you, Jimmy, and I appreciate the enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> his hands were not cold. Amen. So many times it is that way. We welcome you as well online. If yeah, with Some of you, we haven't seen you for a long time, and we miss you, and we love you, and we hope that you are growing spiritually and that God is with you uh, in this time. Uh, you know, uh, a three-year-old said to her mom this week, Mommy, would you please quit watching the map show? So uh, <laughs> how many of you have been watching the map show, right? Yep, a lot of us have. And a lot of red, a lot of blue, a lot some purple, some stripes, and a lot of other colors kind of represented in there. And, uh, and it's really a, a, an interesting time, and so I think it's going to require a lot of wisdom for us, a lot of wisdom to navigate times like these. And uh, I think regardless of what the outcome will be, one of the things I'm encouraged about is the fact that probably something's going to be addressed that's needed to be addressed for a long time, and that is the integrity of the election process. So regardless of how this thing resolves, uh, there are, uh, and I think probably more than likely, 
in the days to come, you're probably going to hear a lot of people who have witnessed a lot of things that have happened in polling stations and states around the world, around our nation, and um, and that these people are going to just be the tip of the iceberg, probably, because this has been a, a topic that's needed addressed for a long time: election reform. It's it's really been needed, and it's happened before, and and uh, you're going to hear a lot about it. And so I, my prayer is that going forward our nation can sort this part of it out because it is going to be critical in days ahead and the years ahead for us to be strong as a nation is that we all have to have confidence in the election process and that our votes really are counted, that they really do matter. It's just kind of interesting. There's one candidate of the two that is crushing the 115 to 125 age group, just crushing it. And, uh, and, and, and some can't even touch him on the deceased vote average. It's amazing. Uh, so just really surging ahead. So you have that. And then you have, uh, when you have glitches and irregularities that are happening in only one direction, it's not a glitch anymore. You have to, we have to understand that. And so regardless of who people vote for, if there are glitches and irregularities consistently in one direction, that's intentionality. And we have to understand that. Okay? And so I think what's going to happen is that you're going to see and hear and understand a lot about this in the days to come. And here's the deal. I think that there is a time when the election process, if it has worked like it should have with the highest of integrity. I think there is a time to celebrate a victory won, and no one's denying that from, for anybody. I think that probably it was premature celebration. It's almost a spiking of the ball before the game is over and the replay has been played. And so what happens is, and I want you to be aware of this because you're going to be tempted to get caught up in this battle and I want you to keep this at the forefront of your thinking all right somebody said last week Joey do you know why the O is crooked in love on your shirt nope <laughs> I have no I just thought it was a really cool shirt and I'm trying to support the food bank and I want to lift up love and it amplified my message why why is the O crooked and he really was a great insight. He said, because love is imperfect. Love is imperfect. We love and we want to love. We want to lift up Christ. We want to love people. But it's broken love. In my eye appointment this, this week, uh, Leonard Cohen's song, Hallelujah, came on the radio. And the, the, one of the uh, eye assistants was, uh, remarked, just how she loved that song. And, uh, and so I said, yeah, and there's a phrase in there that says, it's a cold and broken hallelujah. And sometimes that's love. It's, it's broken. It's imperfect. The O doesn't set quite right. And that's okay. We want to lift up Christ. And, we, and if, you make, if you're going to cheat and edge on any side, cheat and edge on the side of love, it's so critical. 
But what I want you to see and understand, church, is that while all church will never endorse a political party, okay, as this is the party you have to be. That's not the way we approach it, all right? We will, I will, by the grace of God, look at what the Bible has to say and try to discern, as I talked about last week, God, give me discernment so I can see what I need to see in order to make wise decisions. And that's what we have to do. And so what I, what I see happening, and it's very concerning, is that at the very best, it's a premature victory celebrated. At the very worst, there are things happening in conjunction with other things. You and I may, may could very well be watching a coup attempt for the first time in America on this large of a scale with a lot of people involved. And so what I want you to know is that when you prematurely spike the ball and people begin to dance and celebrate ahead of, ahead of the process, what happens is if in fact there's a legal overturning of decisions made by media and other people, that people feel emotionally manipulated and they rage when that is overturned. You see, this is the work that happens in you, when you read your, you study your histories of all your countries in the world, this is, this is how you get foot soldiers of violence. You give them something, then you take it away and now they'll do whatever you want them to do because they're on a crusade, a mission. And this is what we're being set up for. Be careful. Be careful in these days. And this is one of the reasons why we've been praying extensively and emphasizing that we, if we refuse to concentrate in prayer, um, there will be parts of our life that we will pray from concentration camp-like environments. Okay, it's so important that we make love Jesus our focus, that we are wise and to what we see, the dynamics that are happening. And so be very, very careful, be very intentional. Uh, and I think one of the things that is very tough for people is when you, when you see the message, resist, overturn, uh, you know, for, for the last several years actually, resist, overturn, boycott, cancel, leak, impeach. Okay, now it's time to heal. That doesn't wash with people. Okay, that's not going to work. And so you see a lot of inconsistencies and now all of a sudden now this is going to, okay, we're going to flip the switch. It's all going to be different. No, no, no. There's an inconsistent message in there. And so it takes a tremendous amount of wisdom and love and focus on Jesus. Did you know there was a time back in the early days of the United States of America where when you wanted political insight and opinions on elections, you didn't go to the news, you went to church. Did you know that? You went to church. I have a book called Election Day Sermons all the way back to the early colonial days of America. You know why? 
because you didn't have the activist news media that you have today. You, had, you didn't have social media. You had a pastor who worked hard to stay in the know on certain issues, present those issues fairly, and give you something to think about. Hopefully that squared with the Bible that lifted up Jesus and that positioned you to make good choices as good citizens in the country we're, we're a part of. This is a critical time in the United States of America. It is critical. It, the dynamics have been set up to do something major and to create the, a deep, deep rift in our nation. Don't get caught up in personalities. You are not trying to elect someone that you want to send a valentine to. You're trying to elect a president. You don't have to like him. What does he stand for? Now, it's already happened. The election's in. How will the Supreme Court rule? We don't know. But how they rule could have a huge impact. It will have a huge impact on our country. And so just be patient. Be patient. Don't be manipulated by the news. Be patient. Let the process work out. And then once the process is determined legally, get behind your president, whoever he is. Once it's determined legally, it all stands and it washes, and we can feel confident of that. Then we are to pray for, support, get behind, and stop the inconsistent messages that we often receive, okay, and that we have seen, and uh, the hatred that we have seen. And one side of the mouth, it's hatred. The other side of the mouth, okay, let's heal up. Let's unify. No, 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 no. It's got to be a consistent message and then we want to be a people of consistency don't we we do we want to we want to be a people that um, are committed to uh, a unified body of people who have one common mission regardless of political party previous mistakes social classes or genders we are a people who want to be a unified church in the midst of a divided world don't let the disunity inside. No. We're unified people. Okay? Unified people. A divided world needs a unified church. Okay? Christ is our common ground. And I want to affirm you. Uh, I want to affirm your maturity. I think you've handled it great. And uh, you are handling it great. And I'm very proud of you. And you... But you cannot sidestep and avoid the great debates of our time. We have to work the issues. We have to come to rest on how we want to approach this and how we want to live our life in light of it. So let's trust Jesus. Let's get a little more, give ourselves a little more margin from the map show. All right. Just set the map show aside. All right. And the reds and the blues aside for a little while. And let's focus on Jesus, okay? Can we do that? And, uh, and trust him um, and believe that he's got a work for us to do. So Philippians, or we wrapped Philippians up um, last week. And as I've shared with you before, there are four letters that Paul wrote while he was in prison. And Philemon is one of those. And like I said, it's the, 
It's a 25-verse, one-chapter, 335-Greek-word letter that he wrote to a guy by the name of Philemon. And it's very interesting, and I, my temptation is to jump in and tell you the backstory before I even read it. So what I want to do, I want to just kind of reverse course a little bit. I want to actually read the text before I talk much about the backstory. And then I, I just want to look at a couple things, and, and there's just so many things here. Ri- very rich letter that I'm probably going to come back to this next week, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, but if we could just pull up on the screen, all right? Pull up on the screen. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Also to Aphia, that would be Mrs. Philemon, okay? Paul calls her a sister in Christ. And Archippus, who's that? Well, that's their son. Paul calls him a fellow soldier. And to the church that meets in your home. So he's the house church pastor. This, this is a very revealing detail because he's wealthy more than likely. He has a bigger home as wealthier people would have in this particular 60, 61 AD, all right? And so he's got resources, and the church gathers in his larger home, and we would imagine 25 to 30 people were not told, but probably in the range, in that range. And so he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now when he says Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, he usually says Paul, an apostle, right? kind of top down I'm an apostle everybody's challenging my authority let me tell you what God is saying but he comes at this at the bottom up he says no no I'm a prisoner I'm coming to you as a prisoner in other words I'm not going to assert apostolic authority to you Philemon I'm going to come at this as a prisoner of Jesus I'm entreating you I'm not commanding you very important grace and peace he says to you from God the Father Lord Jesus Christ I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers very important that we do that because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus now how he how is he hearing about Philemon's love and faith in Jesus you're going to see the name in verse 10 just a second verse 6 next slide I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ your love bingo your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, I like the family term, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. This was a very special guy. He refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do as an apostle, right? Yet I prefer to appeal to you, I'm a prisoner in Jesus, on the basis of love. There it is again. If we could take that little O and turn it crooked, we'd be right in line, wouldn't we? The basis of love, it is as none other than Paul, an old man. uh, Scholars estimate 55 to 62. I'm kind of knocking on the door, that age frame. I guess that makes me an old man, but who's pointing that out? Not me. And now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you for my son. What? Wait a second. Catch this. My son, Paul has led him to the Lord. 
That's how he uses, that's how he speaks of people that he's led to Christ. My son, Onesimus. That's the first time his name pops up. Can you imagine Philemon reading this for the first time? It's like, uh uh-oh, Paul, I get. Hey, Paul, great to hear from you. Great letter from Paul. Come in. Come in, Mrs. Philemon. We got a letter from Paul. Let's read this thing. And then you get to verse 10. It's like, uh uh-oh. Now his guard goes up because there's a story behind Onesimus. Now Paul's writing, he's letting him know, I'm writing you on behalf of Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Next slide. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in change for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer, man, Paul is so gracious. He is so genteel and polite and so diplomatic and so careful this is a this is a crash course and how to do reconciling relationships no longer as a slave but better than a slave as a dear brother he is very dear to me but even dearer to you both as a fellow man and as as a brother in the lord next slide so if you consider me a partner welcome him as you would welcome me If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. That's kind of interesting. Didn't he just mention it? Yeah, but he said not to mention it. It's like, okay, I see what he's up to. Very gracious, all right? If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. And I'm Paul writing this with my own hand. So he takes that shackled wrist and he gets that writing tool in his hand. And uh, he's going to let, he's going to write with his own hand his his autograph. He's going to sign this as an ancient IOU if Onesimus has defrauded you, Philemon, of anything. And he has. I'm going to pay it back. And then he says, you know what? Just remember, you owe me your life. So he's led him to the Lord too, all right? I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Great phrase. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Even more than I ask. Remember that phrase. And, no, and one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in the answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. A couple more verses, and it's a wrap. Next slide. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What is going on in this letter to Philemon? Well... Philemon was a wealthy person. He was a Christ follower. He had a lot of household servants. I'll talk to you a little bit next week about slavery and how that worked in the first century and social justice and some of those issues. But here's a guy, as we piece it together, named Onesimus, and he had an opportunity 
to bolt, to leave his master in Colossae, and he takes off. He escapes. He becomes a fugitive on the run. And so he's, he makes his way to Rome, and he thinks, well, I will go to Rome, and I'll get lost in the hustle and bustle of Rome. I'll disappear on the back street alleys. No one will ever find me. And uh, met the, the metropolis of Rome will be my place to hide. Amazingly enough, he meets Paul while Paul is incarcerated in house arrest in Rome. And Paul led him to Christ. And so when he discovers the connection with Philemon, Paul knew Philemon. And so now he meets his runaway slave or servant. And so now he starts asking questions of of Onesimus, tell me about Philemon, tell me about this one and this one and this one. And that's why he says, if you go to verse uh, 5 and 6 on the slides, if you go there, you'll see that he says, I hear about your love for all his holy people. Onesimus is telling me, giving him the report. He's telling him all about what's going on back in Colossae because he just has escaped from there. All right? So Paul gets the update And this guy Onesimus starts ministering to Paul while he's in prison. And uh, he starts discipling Onesimus. Paul disciples and mentors him. And then they they begin to have the discussion, okay, what are we going to do? You've run away from your, your master and your household in Colossae. And so Paul reaches a point where he says, hey, I'm going to send you home. But I'm going to write a letter for you. And I'm going to plead for you that Philemon will treat you well. And I think what he does basically is like uh, when he says, you know what, I think you're going to do this for me, Philemon, and perhaps you'll do even more. I think what he's thinking in his heart is that, you know what, just receive this person back. Receive Onesimus back in your family, in your household. Okay, and if if you want to send him back to Rome... And to serve me like he's been serving me, I won't complain. And if you, if you want to may, uh, release him from the obligation of uh, servitude or slavery, then that's super. But then if you want to adopt him into your family, that's even better. That's icing on the cake. That's the even more. And that is essentially... What Paul is trying to underscore here in this letter. Basically, the entire letter runs along these lines. I have the highest respect for you, Philemon. You're doing a great job. Here's a problem we need to solve. I have your runaway slave. Here's how I think we can solve it. Forgive him as a minimum, set him free as an over-to-the-top response, and here's why I know you'll do the right thing. It's great being a partner with you. See you soon. That's the Joey Nelson paraphrase in just about 30 seconds of what this 335-word letter is about. Now, you think about this, it looks easy to us. It looks simple, right? I mean, uh, Paul being who he is and, and 
Christ being who he is and the gospel impacting both of their lives. And now they're all three brothers in Christ. They belong to the family of Christ. And you would think it would be easy and no-brainer, but it wasn't. We can't be so fast. you got to look at this the way Philemon would have looked at it. And now Onesimus, you know, a, a slave or a servant, it wasn't like the antebellum slavery of the Civil War era of our country. I'll tell you more about that next week. It was a different institution altogether, although there were abuses and things, and so we have to be honest with that. But slaves or servants, they were not uh, people that were on the margins of things. They were teachers. They were librarians. They were accountants. They were legal people. They were doctors. They take care of a wealthy person, their family. These were people with, with uh, many, many of them le- leading and living uh, incredible livelihoods. And so when a slave or a servant would leave a household like this, it, the person who ran the household that owned the the servants and things, they were shamed in front of the public because now everybody's wondering, okay, if his slave is running away, what's wrong with Philemon? Is Philemon not doing this? So what's up? And so the gossip meal gets going, right? And, uh, and so he has shamed Philemon's whole household by abandoning it. And he's abandoned his duty as an employee. And, and Philemon now would have to find a replacement for Onesimus because Onesimus was probably a person who had some responsibility. So he has convenienced him and the whole household. And so with all this inconvenience that Philemon has already has already been put through. Paul is now writing him a letter and he's trying to encourage him to do something that would be very difficult for him to do and still save public face. That's why Paul is so careful. He's so careful, so delicate in how he deals with this. Uh, one time I think my dad told me, or you know, your parents say things sometimes, like a bull in a china closet. Have you ever been a bull in a china closet? where you just go ramming through and everything gets shattered because you're not careful and meticulous, right? Sometimes we get that way. We get in a hurry and we're a bull in a china closet. But Paul is not a bull in a china closet, though he could be that apostolic bull, come in there, throw his weight around and start making all of these demands. He shows us a better way, the way of love. Yeah, it's broken. A little off-centered sometimes. We don't always get it perfectly right. But Paul demonstrates such self-restraint, such carefulness, choosing words carefully, and laying this out in such a way that God gets the win. And so we have, but they were asking the question, you know, why did Onesimus leave such an incredible boss like Philemon if Philemon was all of that? Right? So if we go to verse 7, pull up verse 7, Paul says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, Paul calls him a brother, and you've refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. This is a guy that you're going to be encouraged by. It's a guy you want to hang around. Philemon, this, this Philemon. He was a good man. 
a great reputation, sterling character, incredible relational ability, a great leader, a, a lover of Christ, an, one who honored God. And you got a servant that's running away from all of that. The question is why? Why would he do it? Well, they might have had a falling out. Have you ever had one of those in your family? Maybe it wasn't a falling out. Maybe Onesimus is just like everybody else. He got, life got a little monotonous, a little humdrum, maybe a tidge boring. Maybe he got tired of watching the map show. And he decided to escape. You know, we all need to create some space between the harsh realities of life and doing something that we enjoy can help us to do that. However, many times our escapes in life lead us to enslavement in ways we never thought possible. We, sometimes what we do for escape ends up creating heartache. And it doesn't refresh, it doesn't free, it doesn't produce joy and encouragement. If you take a look at your life today and you ask yourself, is there anything that I'm avoiding in life that I need to deal with? Maybe it's a personal issue or maybe there's responsibilities or there's a relationship that's gone sour maybe you have health issues or there's a diet you need to address or maybe it's a marital status or a past experience or maybe it's election results escapism is we try to avoid something I don't want to deal with it and so maybe there's something in Onesimus's life that he's trying to avoid and what we find is when we escape and we do whatever it is we think we're going to do to get away from the thing we don't want to do, that, that thing silently lies within us and it's still throbbing there. And so when we start to ladder down and start digging deeper, we see probably in all of our hearts there are fears and pains and sorrows, and I'm sure Onesimus had those. But the question I got is, is it possible to have a life that you don't need to escape from? And we all need healthy attachment and detachment and love and rest. But, but can we do life and love it? You know, I think it was Martin Luther who said... That we are all the Lord's Onesimi. What's he saying? Martin Luther said all of us are Onesimuses. Alright. Try to say that three times really fast in the plural. We are the Lord's Onesimi. What's he saying? We have stolen from our master. Can I ask you a question? Are you robbing your master and running? Maybe your parents raised you right and you've dishonored them and maybe God gave you a healthy body and you squandered it on drugs and other things. Maybe the Lord blessed you with a good job but you won't give anything to anybody ever. 
maybe God gave you a great person to date or maybe to marry and, and you took more than you should have in that relationship. Maybe uh, God gave you talent, but you won't honor him with it. God created you to serve him. He's your rightful owner and your master, but like Onesimus, you rebelled against him. You said, I'm not going to have this master rule over me. And so you took the body he gave, the intelligence he's blessed you with, the talents that he's entrusted to you to use for him, and maybe you've squandered it on your, yourself in your own life. Claiming to be free from God, we become the slave of sin. And like Onesimus, you know, the Bible shows us where we are condemned fugitives on the run and less, and less useless to our rightful master and guilty and indebted to him. We've robbed God. And the question this morning is just like Luther suggests that we are all Onesimai, okay, we're on the run. We're looking for ways to escape. We don't always do that very well. And he would ask us the question, are you stealing from your master? Have you stolen from your master? And you've taken flight. Oh, you haven't gone to the room. Maybe you've tucked away in a little town of Kimmel with the wood-burning stoves of Kimmel. Maybe you've tucked away in the grain fields of, of uh, Wawaka. And maybe you have tucked away on the streets of Ligonier in some back alleyway. God, you're not going to find me here. I'm running from God. I don't want God in my life. Can I remind you that you can't hide from the one who seeks your soul? Onesimus thought he was finally away from responsibility, from Philemon, from the church, from, from obligation, from accountability. He thought he was, a, and he was a thousand miles as the crow flies, tucked away in Rome, and God had a Paul waiting for him. And like Onesimus, maybe you're like that. According to Luther, we are all Onesimai. What's that mean? We hide from the one who seeks our soul. Hungry and lonely in a mega city where nobody's going to find me. Hungry and lonely. I've escaped. I've ran. I've gotten away from the, where he can find me and where he can see me and where he can know me. And I, I think it's all good. And, and God's got some guy by the name of Paul who is determined to let Jesus be honored in his life regardless of the shackles, regardless of the circumstances. A guy by the name of Paul that says, I'm going to let Jesus use my life. And sure enough, Jesus has, is right there God had him prepared to do this work of bringing him home spiritually. If you, uh, if you feel like, well, no, Joey, I, I really feel like I am with Christ. But you know what? I definitely can relate to this because I've got a family member who is an Onesimai. He's on the run. And uh, maybe you feel that way. Maybe it gets hopeless sometimes. And maybe you pray and you pray and you pray and you hope and you hope and you hope. And you, you're trusting God to do his work. And, and, and this, this story gives me hope because it lets me know that no matter how far they go, no matter how far, God's got a Paul 
God's got a Paul that can intervene, that can be used, that, uh, that can intersect with their life in such a way that can impact their life and can send them home. You know, Paul told Philemon to receive Onesimus just as he would receive Paul himself. I think it's powerful what he says. Pull up verse uh, 15 and 16 for me again. Very powerful. He says, perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while. I love how he says perhaps. Okay, what's he doing? He's, a, he's allowing you room to see that God is perhaps the one that's working in the, behind the details of this whole experience. Notice how he says it in the passive. He doesn't say, you know, okay, the reason that Onesimus ran away, that's active voice. What he says is, perhaps the reason he was separated from you. It's passive. Why does he say it that way? Because he's making room. He's giving margin. He's showing you that, yeah, Onesimus in his, in his desire to escape from responsibility and to run away. Uh, God sometimes works in the details of that. And God was working in such a way that it was God doing and accomplishing his will despite maybe a horrible decision. God's like, okay, that boy's going to escape, but I got somebody waiting for him. And it's going to change his life. And he's going to come back. And he's not just going to come back as a useless slave. He's going to come back as a brother in Christ. And I say, when I see, and, and we go on and we see that he's, he's not just, you know, he, he's dear to you and dear to me. Go to the next slide, if you would, verse 17. If you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Okay? If he has done you any wrong or owes you any anything charge it to me I will assume responsibility I will pay back whatever he owes and I'm going to extend to this man my reputation my goodness my righteousness I'm going to extend to him and speak it over him and I'm going to pay whatever he owes I'm going to pay it does that remind you of anybody did somebody Speak a new identity over your life? Did somebody take his righteousness, put it over you, and say to his heavenly father, I don't care what that character Joey Nelson has done, or that character Bill has done, or that character Ralph has done, or Mary has done, or Sarah has done. I don't care. I have, he is in me. I give him my righteousness. I, Father, I want you to accept him just as you would accept me. That's what he's done. That's the gospel. And not only that, and I, I will pay whatever he owes, I will pay it. And so in this incredible story of a fugitive on the run trying to escape and get away from a responsibility, a relationship, here he is. And he encounters in Paul the beauty of the gospel. And that's imputation. Theologians call that imputation. What does that mean? It means that I get all, Jesus takes all of my guilt and I get all of his righteousness. Very simple. And that's what happens. And we need that. 
He takes all of our guilt. We get all of His righteousness. It's an imputation. It's a transaction. It's an incredible, incredible message. And Paul lives out this gospel message. And so, even though we are separated from our Heavenly Father. Jesus did for us what only He can do. He gave everything He had for us. He gave His life's blood. He was separated from His Father in heaven. He bore the eternal agony of spiritual separation from the Father. And in those moments on the cross as an eternal being, He was in infinite agony. He did that for you, for me. And because He did it, you can be forgiven. And now the question is, have you been robbing him? He did all that for you. Do you owe him something? Conversion is that moment in time. Hear me, church, online. Conversion is that moment in time when you realize the gospel Jesus saves me not because of what I've done. It's because of what he's already done. And my life is a response to a gratitude, to a salvation already accomplished. You see that? That's the gospel. I have been saved. His righteousness is mine. My guilt is his. And conversion, when you come to that point in your spiritual journey and you realize this great imputation has taken place and I don't stand on my own merit, I stand on the merits of another. Oh, I have, I have cost my master dearly. I have disobeyed and dishonored him in so many ways. I have, I have uh, uh, separated myself from his purposes and his glory and his honor. I have brought a great great dishonor to his name and yet I come to him because of one pleading my behalf who's written me a letter with his blood and he pours over my life this brand new exchange of of righteousness for my guilt and I'm saved I've been redeemed I've been set free And so the question that we have in front of us, church, this morning is to get back to that Luther phrase where he says, we are all Onesimai. We are people who owe this great debt of gratitude. Are you robbing him? Do you owe him? Salvation is when you come to that place and say, Lord, I have robbed you. I lived for me. I used my body for me, my mind for me, my talents for me, my money for me. And you've written me this incredible letter and I can just see Onesimus over in the corner of the jail cell as Paul was writing that. He was, he's just bawling in the corner because he knows what's going to happen or what he hopes is going to happen, that he has the great apostle Paul coming to bat for him in this very socially awkward situation. And you know what? I can just see Paul looking at Onesimus, saying, here you go, buddy. You go back to Colossae and you give that to Philemon. And he looks at him and he says, what I've done with you, you do it 
for somebody else. You do it for somebody else. If he's paid you anything, I will. If, if he's owed you anything, I will pay it. I will pay it. And furthermore, treat him as you would treat me, Paul writes. And so this morning, we are Onesimai. We all are on the run, and we owe a great debt. And Jesus has paid the debt. He took all of your guilt so he could give you all of his righteousness. Don't rob him. Don't cheat him. Don't dishonor him. I don't care what happens in elections. Don't dishonor your Savior who loves you, who wants to live through your life, who wants to see other Onesimai come home. You know, last slide, if you would, Benji Kelly tells, some, tells an interesting story in his book, uh, very last slide, maybe uh, I've changed it this morning. Is that the last slide? Last slide, okay, I, I added one. So basically, Benji Kelly, it's a different book, different story. Benji Kelly, in his book, Wrecked and Redeemed, says, you know, without Christ, I wouldn't be alive. We just take that slide off because it's a different, different story. Sorry about that. But he says, without Christ, I wouldn't be alive. September 23rd, 1988 was his day of personal wreckage, he says. I landed in jail for the sixth and final time in a seven-year period. For 48 hours straight, I had been strung out on drug-induced, a drug-induced binge. I inflicted my body with deadly cocktails of cocaine and hard liquor and crack and marijuana. It was in the middle of the day at a Burger King bathroom inside the bathroom stall in Sumter, South Carolina. He says the details are still fuzzy to me. But he went there to ingest another massive cocaine hit. He said his head started spinning and ringing and his heart was racing and his legs buckled underneath him. And the next thing he remembers, he's face down in a tiny uh, urine-covered floor stall in Burger King, uh, the Burger King restroom. And he said, I staggered out of that restroom. I got in my 1968 pearl white Mustang and I crashed it into a car of an elderly couple as they were getting out of it. I still managed to get out of the parking lot. I crashed at the next intersection. I reversed it when another block crashed again head on. And the only reason I didn't flee again was the car wouldn't go. He fled the scene and he, and he face planted in the middle of the road. They arrested him, got him in the back of the police car, hands still cuffed behind his back. Somehow he manages to get out of that back seat and they catch him again. And he says, like my Mustang, my life was wrecked at age 17. It was just total and beyond repair. In Sumter County Detention Jail Cell on Suicide Watch, large white room with cushioned walls, a commode and a bench, he said, without even knowing it, I had become my own greatest enemy. He says, I was sleep deprived. I was in full detox mode. 
And one day a man came unannounced to my jail cell and he asked me a few simple questions. How come you keep coming back to jail? Do you know what God has done for you in Jesus? Would you like a Bible? He said, you know, that's the only thing I possessed at that moment. They had taken everything else away from me. All I had was a Bible. And he said the chaplain told him, start in the Gospel of John and pay attention to the red words. That's what he did. He said that seemed simple enough for a sophomore high school dropout. He was addicted to drugs. He was dealing drugs. He would break into the homes of people and steal guns to sell for drug money. And now he has a Bible and a whole lot of time. God had him. He dropped out of high school when his parents divorced and when he moved and then he moved out at age 15 he was arrested for the last time and, and he was in jail and he said I received Christ on the floor by a steel frame bed in a jail cell I got my hair cut I tried to tell the judge what had happened to me he wasn't buying it and he sent me to five years in the state penitentiary and then the, he said the judge did something incredible he suspended that five year sentenced to three years of probation if I would just complete recovery he completed recovery he planted a church in 2002 and you can get online and look New Hope Church is the name of the church that he now pastors are you an Onesimai on the run do you owe him something I'm not saying you owe him something so you can earn your salvation. No, no, no. He's already accomplished that. But who are you going to live your life for? Kelly says in the dedication of his book, dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate master. The master at saving and redeeming wrecked prodigals. I will spend the rest of my life marveling at his amazing grace and the ways in which he unleashes transformative work in the lives of the broken and builds his church with and through wretches like me. To God be the glory. Are you robbing your master? Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much this day for your love and your grace. We thank you for this story and this letter and we see the beauty in it and we're going to deal with it a little more next week but we see the beautiful truth that you have pictured here in the real life story of adventure and i just ask and pray this morning that you would be our hope and our strength as philemon refreshed the heart of paul may you commission our church to refresh the hearts of others that we will bring that kind of characteristic and that kind of quality to all of our relationships. And then, Father, that we would live out the beautiful message of the imputation. That you would enable us to be your good news. That we would be Pauline in how we love how we cover the wrongs of others so as to uh, encourage and facilitate this greater use of their life for the glory of God. So we pray for these things and we trust you to do your work today for each and every person 
Touch their hearts. Enlighten their eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And then, Father, as we wrap it up here this morning, I just am in prayer that uh, you would guide our nation, guide our people, help us to be patient, help us to be supportive when the time is right to do that. And then also to be in prayer as we know decisions being made have these huge ramifications that will be felt in so many areas. I'm just going to invite... Uh, Mike, if you would, Mike Stoner, just to offer a prayer for us this morning before we get out of here. Mike. I'm not sure where the mic is. Maybe just grab, use one of these here. Thank you. You pray with me. Father God, we love you and we come to you humbled this morning with the, oh, a little crooked in my love, Lord, because we are imperfect. But we know where a perfect place will be in eternity with you in our final home, Lord. And just give us the strength and the patience and the love to get through this world until we can get there, Lord. This week, just Help us straighten our oh, and our love, dust it off, clean it up a little bit, and take it out to the streets amidst the rioting, the looting, the COVID. Lord, just give us the peace and strength to know that in the end, you win. And if we're with you, we win too. It's in your name I pray. Amen. And thank you. Stand with me. If you want to pull out those Christmas decorations, I'm not going to complain. You go for it, fire them up, and spread a little cheer, okay? And you have a great week. And God bless you, and we love you. Go in his peace. Amen.